Um, well, it is, uh, it, we are still in the Jesus way and, uh, and kind of summing up because next week will be our last week uh, of the Jesus way and, and that will be Palm Sunday. Um, and then so that, that means for those of you uh, liturgical calendar nuts that Easter is the next Sunday. Um, I'm sure you already have your champagne brunches reserved. But uh, Easter at New Heights uh, will be a little different this year. I think Stacy mentioned it a few weeks ago. We will be outside. Um, right out there on uh, the grassy lawn, um, right outside the doors of the CLC. Weather permitting, of course, if it's raining, we will be in here. If it's hot, we'll be out there. If it's cold, we'll be out there. Suck it up, put on a jacket. The only way that we will be inside is if it's raining and I can be electrocuted with my mic on, okay? That's what I'm saying. Uh, we're going to be outside and, uh, and have a great time of worship. We've invited all the Sunday school classes around that might be affected by us uh, to join us, so we may have some different faces in there. Um, and uh, it, it will be not tied to this series. It will be a standalone um, Easter service that I have uh, taken a great deal of influence from Rob Bell and Ray Vanderlyn on uh, this, uh, this service, and I'm really, really excited about it. I've been preparing more for it than I have this Sunday and next Sunday, so sorry, um, but uh, it will pay off on Easter, hopefully. And, uh, and uh, we're really excited about uh, what we're doing, and just the last time we were outside, we had a lot of great, uh, feedback from it and people asked us to do it again so here you go we aim to please the people um i know not all of you liked it uh but you know we can't please you anyway um so just invite you to invite your friends it'll be comfortable sitting outside and um come dressed appropriately for that day you might need a hat who knows your easter bonnet um but uh today we are still in uh, the jesus way and last week we talked about herod and and we talked about the pharisees and, uh, and some of the ways that Jesus had to model his leadership style after, and yet he didn't. Today, Peterson, we're going to jump a chapter. We're going to st- skip Caiaphas if you're following along in um, the Jesus way, the way, a conversation on the ways that Jesus is the way. I, I know very few of you are actually reading this book, uh, but um, we are in chapter, uh, the Caiaphas chapter would have been today, but we've skipped it. We'll get to Caiaphas next week. This week, we're going to go to the last one that he does. And the reason he puts it last is because the guy he talks about in this wasn't in the Bible, wasn't alive when Jesus was alive, but has a great influence over Christianity, has a great influence over the Jewish community of the time. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 19. And this is actually scripture for Palm Sunday that is generally used for that. It is the triumphal entry. And uh, right here... uh, Luke 19, verse 41. But as they came closer to Jerusalem and Jesus saw the city ahead, he began to cry. I wish that even today you would find the way of peace. But now it's too late and peace is hidden from you. Before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you. They will crush you to the ground your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you have rejected the opportunity God offered you. I know that this was a, I don't know for sure, but I'm sure that this was a tough thing for Jesus to say. I can't imagine what it must have been. I mean, he's weeping, he's crying because he knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to happen to Jerusalem. 
He knows what's going to happen to those who do not accept the gift offered by God. He knows what's going to happen. No stone will be left unturned. We'll get to that in a second. I don't know how many of you, how many of you are involved in an NCAA bracket of some form or another? Maybe you've just done it personally for yourself, or maybe you're a gambler and have a serious problem and you need to pray with Pat after the service. Okay, yeah, um, I am involved in, a, uh, in an NCAA bracket. I don't gamble. I don't uh, bet money. It's, uh, I, I just I don't go there. And, um, but I am involved in one kind of really for pride's sake uh, with some friends of mine. It's pretty much just to say I'm smarter than you are. So one of those type things, which I know is just as bad. Uh, but I, uh, I had Missouri going to the Final Four. And yesterday hurt. You know, it killed my bracket. I had Missouri going to the Final Four and had Duke going to the Final Four. Those of you that don't watch college basketball have no clue as to what I'm talking about. Let me tell you, I, I'm just, I'm out. Because I had both of those going to the Final Four, and they are not. They both lost. And so I'm looking around at some other guys that are in the bracket, some of which are in this room, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to be beat now. And they're going to go, ha, ha, So I'm going to have to find another team to root for, and uh, I'm thinking Connecticut. I'm going to jump on board with Connecticut. They seem pretty strong. They seem pretty powerful. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm now a Connecticut fan. UConn. Woo. Go Huskies. You know, I'm going to jump on board with that and until they maybe lose. And then I'll find somebody else to follow and jump on board with. Because I can't not watch because it's college basketball. And this time of year, that's what you're supposed to do. I think there's a law written about it. And I love it. And so I'll watch it. And so I will get on board with them. Well, you may call me a Fairweather fan. How many people were Red Raider fans this year in NCAA football that had never been a Red Raider fan? Yeah, some of you are like, yeah, kind of, I was following them for a little bit. How many of you have uh, given up on the Aggies football program and now are only Aggies basketball and baseball fans? <laughs> yeah, you know, we have a tendency to follow teams when they do well. We have a tendency to jump on board with, oh, man, they're, they're the ones who are doing well. Ah, yeah, this is, that's my team. That's the way to go. We do this not only with sports teams, we, we do it in politics as well. A lot of us have our firm beliefs and we're not going to move from that belief, but then there's others of us who are kind of going with the polls. You know, we, the polls were telling us one thing, and, and so we're like, oh, well, you know what, I really don't like that guy anymore, and he's awesome, I love this guy, until he does something bad and, you know, somebody else comes along, and you're like, who, who's that guy, what about this girl, she's great. And you start going back and forth and back and forth. And we do this with a lot of things. We're kind of going one way until something goes against it or it goes against us. And we jump ship. And we turn around and follow something different. There's a guy by the name of Josephus. He sings, are you ready for some... Oh, no, that's Bocephus. Josephus... It might, uh, might be unfamiliar to some of you because he's not in the text, but he has written tons of stuff. The guy was a writer, and he wrote and wrote and wrote. And I have some uh, really antique volumes of the works of Josephus on my, in my bookcases at home. If anybody would like to check them out and put on some little white gloves to turn through the pages and read it, if you're an insomniac, it will cure you. But he was a prolific writer of the history of Rome. He was a Jew. He wasn't just a Jew, really. He was pretty, 
pretty much an outstanding Jew, as it were, kind of along the lines of Paul. Remember, Paul says, dude, I am a Jew. I'm the Pharisee of Pharisees. You look up the definition Pharisee, boop, right here, me. I'm their star. Josephus was in another way. Josephus was born seven years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he was not alive when Jesus was. But he was there for the beginning of the church. He was there when the disciples were going into the world and spreading the gospel message. He was there for all of that, and he was aware of it. But, as Peterson points out in in this book, he only mentions Jesus one time in all of his writings, just really kind of as an aside. He mentions John the Baptist, and he mentions James the Righteous, but he doesn't deal much with Christianity in his writings. And Peterson's left wondering, well, why is this? He talks about other aspects of Judaism. He he talks about uh, the Zealots, the Pharisees, the Essenes. In fact, he tried out all of these when he was growing up as a child. You know, maybe I want to be an Essene, and so I'm going to go along these ways and live that way. Or, no, that didn't work for me. Maybe a Pharisee, so I'm going to try that. No, that didn't work for me. And he landed on Zealots, and he was a good Zealot. Now, the Zealots were a group of Jews who were zealous for God. They believed strongly in God, and they wanted everyone to believe strongly in God. And they were not very gentle about how they were spreading the word of God. As he grew up, he was highly intelligent, and he taught himself all of these different ways and all these different things. He achieved somewhat of notoriety when at a point, I believe he was 19, 20 years old, uh, Rome came down and arrested some priests, some Jewish priests, and they took them away to Rome. Josephus was elected to go get them back, to be a diplomatic missionary up into Rome, to secure their release and bring them home. I think it was seven priests. And he was able to do this. He was able to go into Rome. He won over uh, Caesar's wife, and he kind of uh, worked his magic with words, and he had a great personality. He was very charismatic, it said. And he secured the release of those Jewish priests, and he brought them home. Of course, this made him huge. You know, he was big before, but now you're the man. We all want to be like you. And so he kind of lived into that. He's like, I am the man. I am cool. You do want to be like me. He also was liked by the Romans. And the Romans put him in charge over the Galilean region. And the Galilean region was kind of a home. It was a, it was a hub for zealots right outside of uh, Capernaum. Uh, was this place called Gamalal. Gamalal. Is that right, Casey? Am I saying that right? What do you mean you don't know? You've been there. Gamalal. Um, and it was, a, it was a hub. It was for the zealots. It was where it was a hideout. It's this stronghold. The zealots would go around to different caves and stash swords and knives and daggers in case they needed them. And every so often, they would need them to try and overthrow Rome. A group would get together and they'd go out and they'd cause a skirmish and they'd have big battles and wars, but Rome eventually would always suppress them and push them down. And so Josephus was made ruler over this region. And uh, there's this guy by the name of Vespasian. Vespasian was a general in the Roman army, very powerful general. He took it on himself to take over Jerusalem. He decides, you know what? I need to take over Jerusalem. I I don't know if he was just sitting around one day and was kind of bored and goes, I don't like those Jews. It's time to get rid of them. So he goes in and he meets up with Josephus, who had amassed an army of thousands upon thousands of men, and a battle raged. 
for 47 days. But Vespasian finally got through the walls and finally started to come in. This was at the town of uh, Jodapada. And he's breaking through these things. And and, uh, Josephus sees where it's headed. So he goes and he hides in these caves with 40 of the other elite citizens of the area. They know that they're going to be found. Josephus says, let's just go surrender. The other people can't believe it. They're zealots. We don't surrender. It's God's way or no way. Let's kill ourselves. We will not be taken. So they set up this plan to kill one another. First guy would kill guys sticking out. Then he'd hand the sword to the next guy who would kill him. He'd hand the sword to the next guy. And the last guy was to commit suicide. Get through all of them. There's two people left. One of them, Josephus. They look at one another. There's been enough killing today, don't you think? And so he walks out and he surrenders to Vespasian. And as he is a captive, Vespasian knew who he was and wanted him kept alive. And he goes, I need an audience with you. And so he is granted an audience. And he comes up to him and, and he wows him by speaking to him. And so much so that uh, Vespasian takes him under his wing and says, you're now going to be my Jew. You're going to be my mouthpiece for the Jews. What it was that Josephus said is one day you won't just be a general. You will be Caesar. Turns out he was right. But... Isn't that the way to, to stroke somebody who already has a big ego, ego to say, you're not going to be as great as you are now. You're going to be greater. And so Vespasian took him in and said, you will be my mouthpiece for the Jews and took him back to Rome with him. To which he became this great writer who wrote so much about the history of the time and the history of Rome and, and the Jews in Rome. And he actually kind of became a jester. Because he would come in and tell these great stories of those crazy Jews to all the Romans. And they'd laugh about their traditions and their practices and their festivals and all those things. And then Titus, Vespasian's son, decides, "Ah, you know what, I'm going to go take over Jerusalem now. This is the year 70 AD. And they move into Jerusalem with Josephus at his side. Josephus running through the crowd or on his chariot, screaming to the people, Just surrender. Don't be so Jewish. Be Roman. Be a Roman Jew. Peterson says, this is pretty much the theme of his writings and the theme of his life. Don't be so Jewish. Just be a Roman Jew. He's kind of like that guy who was supporting one team until they did really bad and jumps on board with another team. He's like a Jew, he's a zealot, he's all about it, until he sees things are going to go bad. Well, Romans are more powerful. I'm a Roman Jew. Don't be so Jewish. It's interesting. I've heard a lot of people say that about Christians. Don't be so Christian, man. Don't be so Christian. Just mix in. Mix in with the world. Mix in with Rome. You know, it's okay to be a Christian, but don't be so Christian. I mean, come on, that kind of annoys the rest of us. It makes us uncomfortable when you're so Christian. And yet, let's look at Jesus. Now, Jesus wasn't alive when Josephus was, but the zealots were around. 
And Jesus came from the area where zealots were huge and where zealots were in power and where zealots were everywhere. And zealots were really nothing but terrorists. They were terrorists who were trying to force God on people and they would kill them if they didn't accept. And so Jesus comes from this area of zealotness and he goes into the world and he's saying down with Rome. Same thing that the zealots are saying. Yet, no violence. There's only one violent act that was committed by the disciples, and it was a sword that Peter wielded to the high priest when they were arresting Jesus. If you remember, he cuts off Malchus's ear. And Jesus said, put your sword away. That's not how we do it. If you notice, Jesus went into those places where where no one else would go, where the zealots wouldn't have dared gone. Jesus went into those places where the Romans wouldn't go. He went everywhere. He went to those places and spoke to those people who needed to hear hope and needed to hear love. Boy, he was zealous for God, though. God was everything. God is everything. But he wasn't going to kill you to make his point. He wasn't going to make you to submit to it like the zealots would or like the Romans would. That's the great thing about following a loving Savior, that we have that choice. We have that choice to follow or not to follow. We have that choice to believe in Jesus Christ or not. Upon his death and resurrection, he sends the disciples out. He says, go into the world. Go into the world and share my love and teach everyone about me. What I have taught you, teach them. How I have loved you, love them. If you remember on the day of Pentecost, they're in this room and they're fired up and the Holy Spirit comes down and it just, wham! The church is birthed right there and these guys just go nuts and they go out and they spread the love of Christ throughout the world and it changes the world. They were zealous for God, yes. They had passion for God, yes. It was a fire that burned within them so great, as Jeremiah said, that they had to let it out or their chest would burst. But they didn't force it on anyone. What Peterson says they had was, Homo thumaden. Homo thumaden, which translated means of one accord. Of one accord. But he says that that translation really doesn't do it justice. Homo thumaden has a fire in it. It is the passion of a consensual, unanimous response to something God does. We don't work it up. It is always dependent on something God has just done or is about to do or we are participating in. It is not something we bring about by conflict resolution or arbitration. It is a fire, and it marks the church as it is formed by the Holy Spirit. What they had was each other. What they had in common was the community of Jesus Christ. They had coming together and worshiping God and spending time with one another and sharing their sorrows and sharing their victories and sharing communion and sharing life together. They had each other. They weren't all for me. It's all for everybody. You're my brother. You're my sister. And together we can share the love of Christ with anyone. Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees. 
Paul, this amazing Jew who had risen to such a level and then gave his life to Christ as he meets him on the road. Paul had such chutzpah. He had such brass to go in to a stadium full of screaming people wanting to kill him. Saying, no, I just need to talk to them. I just need to tell them how great God is, how much Jesus Christ loves them and died for them. He didn't want to go in and just thrash them all because they didn't believe the way he believed. He wanted to go in and just, I love them so much. I care about them so much, even though I don't know them and they want to kill me, that I'm not going to be scared to go in there and share the love of Christ. See, that's the thing. A lot of times Christians are either in your face and shouting you down and saying you're going to burn if you don't believe this way, or we're so quiet that we stand back and let you just go about your business. I think as Christians, we need to be strong and brave and move into the world and not be ashamed that Jesus Christ died for me. I'm not ashamed for that. I'm not ashamed that I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed that I have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me. And I'll tell you about it. But I'm not going to hold you down and make you believe. Because quite honestly, I'm not that good. I think what we need and think, I think what I learned from this chapter of Peterson is that we need strength in numbers. We need strength as a community. I don't know how many times I walk in this room and I see people that I don't know. But they've been coming for a long time. How many people come, if you're a visitor and I've never seen you before, of course I'm not going to know you. But if you've been coming for such a long period of time and I don't know who you are. There's something wrong with that. If you look around the room and you see the same person week after week and they're always sitting in the same spot and you always see them and you know their face but you don't know their name. There's something wrong with that. Jesus sent the disciples out as a community because he knew they couldn't do it on their own. And we're the disciples now. We are that community. If we are to turn the tide, if we are to change this world, we're going to have to do it together. We're going to have to do it together, and we're going to have to stand together. And we're going to have to lock arm in arm as we go into the world, shouting that Jesus Christ loves you. We need to be a community. We need to have that homo thumaden. That one accord, a fire that burns so brightly inside of us that it drives us together as the body of Christ. But I know it's 1035 and you have lunch plans. The worship team is going to come out right now. They were going to come out right now. Don't. Go back. Get away. I don't need you. Wait, no, come back. No, I'm just kidding. I just want to see if he would come back or if he'd catch on. What I want you to do as you leave is find somebody that you've never said hi to before. We always tell you to cross the aisle and shake hands and whatever and say, good morning, how you doing? And y'all do that. Y'all are fine. I, I saw somebody jump. You know, Carl went about 10 rows back and was shaking hands. And, you know, uh, and uh, Pat Bruchard is always at the 11 o'clock service. He's always like running around everywhere hugging people because he's just one of those people. He's not here right now, so you can all relax. Um, and what I want you to do is just, as you leave, say hi to somebody that you've never said hi to before. 
Ask them their name. Tell them yours. Let's become a community. If we are a community, if we are the believers, of, if we are the body of Christ, which we are, shouldn't we know that we're the body of Christ? Shouldn't we recognize when I'm out in the world and I see Pete McLaughlin out there, I'm like, you're part of the body, dude. I know you as one of me, as the body. I find strength in you. I'm not saying we should segregate because I want to integrate. Just want a little Jesse Jackson on you. But as you leave today, let's start building that fire. Let's start building that homo thumaden. The fire that brings us together to the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the power of salvation that comes from your death and resurrection. God, as we look at the way of the disciples, as we see how they came together in the name of Jesus Christ, and they changed the world by sharing your love, I stand in awe of that. And I ask that you give me the same courage to build that community with people I don't know, to build a community with people who maybe are a little different than I am. God, help us to know it doesn't matter where we live, where we come from, how much money we make. If we are believers in Jesus Christ, we are brothers and sisters moving together, called to move together in this world and to share the love that only you can give. God, I pray that you would help us to build community, that we wouldn't just be nameless faces on a weekly basis, but we would be friends and community. God, I thank you. I thank you and I praise you for your love. In Jesus Christ's holy and precious name, amen. By the way, my name's Michael. See you later.